welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Perfect. Um, Wow, thank you for having me. (laughs) So, I'm just going to start off by saying that I am powerless. Um, I'm I'm nervous, and I've never... um, Melissa, we might have to go without your video for a better connection. Gave a lead or um, had a testimony like me. So thank you to my sponsor for encouraging. Shut off my video here. Okay, we'll try that. Of course, I get a pop-up on my computer saying, restart for an update. <laughs> How's that for timing? Um, okay, can you hear me okay? Thumbs up? Okay, thank you. So, um, yeah, I was just in the process of thank you to my sponsor and um, believing in me when I didn't believe in myself. And I think that's um, a great place to start. Uh So one of the reasons also why she said, uh, you know, you have this great story to share. I'm like, what are you talking about? No, I don't. But um, just the belief in me, uh, this past year has been a crazy year. Uh, I actually had my first mammogram and was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer right away. Um, So next week will be my year anniversary of starting my fight with breast cancer. And, um, in December, uh, December, December 17th was my last radiation. So I'm still recovering from radiation, but I went through five months of chemo. I went through surgery to take out two tumors, one in my breast and one under my armpit, my lymph nodes, um, and then had three weeks of radiation at Mayo Clinic. And all the while being sober and um, today actually is to date, 3.5 years of sobriety. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's, what are the chances of that? Um, I've heard it say, is it odd or is it God? <laughs> so um, that's that's a cool sign for me uh, of encouragement. So sobriety through this past year, I thought talking about fellowship and what it, I think, Truly, that's what got me through. And what does fellowship look like for me in my life? Um, What does that mean to have a real connection? What does that look like? What does friendship look like? Um, And then never feeling alone, like um, being a part of this great community, like jumping on this call and having this international presence of no matter where we are is just um, 
awesome. And I just am very grateful for the people before me that have done the legwork and been of service selflessly um, and have done this work so that I um, get a chance to talk to you today sober. Thank God. Another 24 hours at a time. Um, so just a, just a bit about me some background. Um, I came into this program six years ago in the Chicago Fellowship, actually. Um, and so I'm, I'm sober three, three and a half years. And when, when they first said, you know, go, go take a year and, um, you know, give yourself a break from, um, you know, dating and, and, uh, you know, sexual sobriety. I thought, all these people, you guys are nuts. <laughs> like that's not going to happen. And here I am three and a half years and going, I feel like a baby. I'm taking baby steps. And what I'm starting to realize is just how much character growth God needs to do in me and how I need to be um, coachable and open to suggestions like my sponsor asking me to speak today. <laughs> but what that does is having a, uh, a, a spirit of service and um, contribution is fellowship. Um, so two years ago, I believe it was, um, there was an opening for chair at my inner group. And um, at this time, there was a lot that I thought could could have been done. And so inner group is um, inner group here in Minnesota is, I think about 12, um, 12 different locations or meetings maybe 12, 14, something like that, uh, meetings total. And um, we were not in the digital age, old school uh, website, old school stuff. And so I got involved. I um, got involved with a marathon first and then actually stepped up to service to this chair position. Well, there was two of us that were um, stepped up to be be nominated and we decided to do like a co-chair. It was chair and vice chair, really. I decided to be vice chair. Um, I stepped down and said, you know, I don't know how that would work. So anyways, we we brought um, our inner group into the digital age and I started to be of service. So <sighs> fellowship and service, what came of that? Um, to be honest, a lot of I don't wanna. <laughs> like, um, I don't want to have to do this. Like, why do I have to make those calls and collaborate with people on the telephone line system or what meetings might be happening? Um, so I, I think I w really went through a lot of um, ego deflation <laughs> the hard way because that's the addict. I always learn the hard way. Um, and through that, what so what does fellowship and partnership look like? Um, on page 163 in the white book, uh, in the 18-wheeler, number 12, it says, make friends in program. <laughs> make friends in the program. So uh, my sexaholism had forced me away from true intimacy. I had become a loner and a love cripple. To recover, I had to begin coming out of isolation and connect with people, but I didn't know how. At first, I was forced to make the phone calls to stay sober. Then, as I shared with others in my distress, they shared their trials with me. A common bond developed. Partnerships, partner in sobriety. 
what a boon. Um, totally my story. Um, so what I started to see through service um, is that trying to do it alone is really, really hard. <laughs> um, it's lonely and I turn inward. And once I started making those calls saying, I'm stuck here, or here's what I'm feeling, um, it started to get easier. The burden lifted a bit. Um, people started to come on board and, and helping me with different things. Uh, so we actually, well, I, we <laughs> created a all digital automated response um, telephone line system through Google Voice for our intergroup. And so now I get a email, we, I can text respond. Um, we have the real time response. Our goal is to respond to any newcomer, uh, either email or telephone call within 24 hours. Um, that was a huge feat. Whereas before it was taking anywhere from four to seven days to re uh, reply to a newcomer call. So uh, that was one of the things that like came out of uh, my participation. But yeah, the fellowship, making friends. What I realized um, through all this is that I am not the best friend. <laughs> what is, so um, what does it look like to be a friend uh, in program? Because I actually had to look up the definition of fellowship and it's uh, defined in just a Google search. It says fellowship is friendly association, especially with people who share one's interests. Um, a good fellowship as the cement of the community. I thought, oh, the cement of, of the community, like what is the cement um, for our community? And it's, I'm starting to realize it's friendship. So um, before I go into like what friendship looks like for me now, I wanna talk about what friendship was like for me in my past. Um, so, I'm, I'm in Minnesota now, but I used to live in Chicago uh, for about 18 years. And friendship for me was very transactional. Um, what can you do for me? What can I do for you? It was, I was single, dating, I'm hot, you're hot for girlfriends. Let's go out, let's go to bars, let's go clubbing. Um, I also got big into the boating, yachting scene, uh, sail. I started to sail competitively. Um, so sailing is all about like, how can I perform? What do I know? What boat can I get on? I mean, it's very hobnobby. And I was pretty proud of myself, to be honest. But what I found out is kind of at the end of the day, after years of this, while it was entertaining and fun and exciting, I felt so alone. I felt empty. Um, and I was just acting out to fill that void um, as we do. <laughs> and so the bigger, the older I got, the bigger the vo void came. Uh, my old antics didn't, wasn't entertaining enough. And so my acting out had to get bigger and better. Um, instead of just acting out locally with people in Chicago, I started to fly uh, domestically to different states and act out, and then um, eventually internationally. And um, then I actually got into uh, prostitution as well. 
So that's part of uh, kind of my, my history is I realized that I am a love cripple as we state um, in the problem. First addicts, then love cripples. We took from our others to fill up what was lacking in our lives. Conning ourselves time and again, the next one would save us. We were really losing our lives. That's totally my story. Um, I am a love cripple. So, um, kind of going back to friendship in this in this past year, um, I realized that I really am not a good friend. Um, I started leaning into that um, and asked my higher power to change this in me, and it's slow, um, and I'm still learning. And but what friendship looks like now is contribution and service like this fellowship, um, like service and intergroup has taught me. Um, let's see, how am I doing on time? Okay, thinking, thinking of others. Um, one of the tools that has helped with me, me, helped me to become less selfish is actually the DSR, the daily sobriety renewal. And I, for about the past year have talked three times a week with a friend in program and i thought at first this was like kind of okay why are we of course i'm answering these questions it's like are you willing to admit you're powerless fine desire sanity yes uh you know just what am i committing to but what i found throughout throughout doing this is something called a friendship developed <laughs> I know it's like, for me, it was the training wheels of how to be a friend was the DSR. Talking about those sometimes minute little details of what are you having for breakfast? But then a lot of times it's, okay, um, the bigger things, the maybe the arguments or the, um, you know, how did the grocery store interaction go? Um, and finding that we can help each other. I actually was talking to this friend a couple of days ago and told her I was gonna do this talk and uh, said, you know what? I might bring you up, but I'm not gonna say your name. And I'm gonna call you my DSR partner. And she goes, DSR partner, we're more than that. And I start laughing. I said, that's the point. <laughs> like we're friends now. <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay. And she started laughing with me. So um, that's cool to have a friend other than, um, I don't know, something just raw and authentic. Um, so that's, that's cool. So the DSRs, uh, let's see what else can I talk about? So that was, that helped me learn how to become a friend. Uh, intergroup, yeah, on page 165, uh, I'm sorry, 65 in the white book, we get involved. Um, at first, all of, uh, at first, all that many of us could do was simply attend meetings, forget the steps, forget everything, just bring the body we were told and bring the body we did, even if we had to drag it along and even if the mind and will lagged far behind, but soon we started sharing at meetings, telling our story, bringing the inside out. And we discovered that the way to feel better is not only going to meetings, but taking the risk of self-disclosure. So self-disclosure, um, 
in the DSRs and in meetings has been big. So real connections, what does real connections uh, look like for me? As I continue to learn, um, it can be a little thing like, um, <laughs> here's an example of what for, happened with me this past week. Um, I had got some meat, some food, uh, and I had some extra gluten-free flour and I brought it to a friend on Sunday. And I also brought her some toothpaste, some this really expensive specialty toothpaste that I got while I was doing chemo. And um, I actually never used it. And I, and I brought it to her at church and she got so excited and she's like, this is an answer to God, you know, a prayer to God. And I'm like, what? This is two little trinkets. Like, what are you talking about? And she said, my, her, and as her, um, nie not niece, but um, her granddaughter walked up and she said, granddaughter, this is for you. And she handed her this toothpaste and it was a toothpaste that she had wanted, but couldn't afford. And so just by me See, I was going to throw these two things out, but by thinking of others and being a contribution to others, I got to be God's hands and feet, so to speak. Um, so that's just like a really kind of, is it odd or is it God thing? <laughs> um, so that's what friendship is starting to look like for me, thinking of others with even just the little things. Um, another thing I learned too was inviting girlfriends to go on walks with me and you know someone I didn't know or somebody I wanted to get to know but as we started going on walks a thing called friendship developed <laughs> um and so I also thought about intergroup and like service um at, at the at our at our meetings because it's bringing the body it's doing a task something that I don't necessarily want to do. I don't necessarily want to go out and get exercise, but all the while interacting and being honest and getting real with people and just starting to share my life, honestly, which is, has been hard for me. Um, doing all those things has been a good model for me in my life. And now um, it's starting to spread. So I'm starting to develop friends. <laughs> I said, I've been working on my Minnesota nice it is, um, as it's known here in the States, Minnesota is known for really nice people. Um, the first couple of years that I moved back here, uh, I really hated the Minnesota nice. Um, just it's sharing with complete strangers. You're in line at a grocery store. Hey, how's it going? Oh, what are you getting? Oh, that's a good thing. Or that's like, that just seems so absurd for me as an addict, I'm so turned inward. How would I have the space or really care to look outward and look at others, um, the people standing around me in line or, you know, God, where can you use me or what can I say or what can I do? Um, I think that's a shift that I've seen in my life. Um, yeah, a lot less protective. Let's see. So I got almost five minutes here, timing myself too. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's see, real connections, um, thinking of others, DSR, okay, never alone. So what does it look like to be never alone? At one of the 
international conventions that I went to. Actually, it was the first women's convention. Um, I don't know how many years ago it was now. Maybe, maybe four years ago. But I got a chip, and it says Sisters in Recovery on one side. And on the other side, side it said Never Alone, Service, Unity, and Recovery. And I got this chip, and I thought, this is, yeah, right. <laughs> like, this is so far left field. Like, this will never happen for me. Um, and I've heard the, I've heard the promises um, of the program. And I'm, you know, I'm still working on it. Promises seem kind of far for me right now. And that's where I feel like a baby. Three and a half years in sobriety, I'm still a baby. Um, but the promises, I'm just going to read these. If we are painstaking about this phase in our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom, a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door in it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon us, upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Wow. So fear of people and economic insecurity. Um, I'm still working on the economic insecurity, but the fear of people, I think I'm. that's slowly falling away. And so this chip that I'm well, holding, thank you, of Never Alone and Sisters in Recovery, I'm starting to feel and experience what it looks like to be a sister. Um, I'm here in Minnesota, the women's, um, there's not too many, only a handful of women here in, in SA. And um, I actually started the first meeting. We're now meeting about quarterly, getting together just as women um, and just how important that is to start developing those those friendships um, and what a blessing it is to be able to do it in person as well. But so that's one way starting to um, have, you know, coffee dates, <laughs> uh, coffee, dates, dating looks different. <laughs> <laughs> dates before and dates now. Uh, yeah. So sisters in recovery, what does that look like? Um, yeah. Looking for ways to contribute. Um, one of, one of the gals, uh, one, we were celebrating my, I think my second year of sobriety and we got together and she brought some flowers for me. And I got so teary-eyed and I thought, how could someone be so gracious and and think of actually think about me and want to give me and celebrate with me? Um, that to me is is a miracle. Um, 
And so now I'm trying to, now that I've experienced that, that um, generosity, I'm looking for ways to um, give that generosity to others. For instance, on Friday, a friend of mine, her sister committed suicide and they had a funeral and uh, there were these gorgeous flowers, like bouquets um, of bright colors and happy, like happy colors. I thought it was a very odd choice for a funeral, but very happy, lively colors. The next morning, there was a craft show at my church and there were about 20 ladies and there was a note saying, take flowers. And of course, no one was taking these flowers. No one wants to, um, you know, take apart these gorgeous bouquets. And I, I prayed and I said, God, is this something that you want me to do? And I fought. I really didn't want to do it. But I, again, was trying to be in obedience to my higher power. And I spent an hour and a half and I created 12 bouquets. I repurposed all of the flowers. Um, I broke a sweat. I was like, okay. I was like against a clock. I couldn't do 20. Um, but the flowers brought such joy to people's lives. I got pictures with the gals. It was this connection. I, I felt kind of embarrassed about it, but God really used it to bring joy. I posted a picture on Facebook and, and the, my friend and the mom whose uh, daughter passed away messaged me and said, we were so happy to see you repurpose those flowers. Um, and so that I, I got to be the hands and feet and connect. And that was just really cool. So looking for ways to contribute and is it odd or is it God? And you never know where God can use us to show up. So thanks for listening to me kind of ramble around a bit. And um, yeah, I guess with that, I will pass. Wow. Thank you very much, Melissa. <laughs> Hi, Nancy Sexlock. Hi, Melissa. Oh, it's so good to hear you share. I remember when we first met at an international convention. I will never forget that. And the way we have grown as friends is incredible. You mentioned being vulnerable and honest. And <clears throat> to me, part of a friendship is we've come to where we challenge each other. We'll call each other on our stuff, but we still love each other. It doesn't, and that has been so meaningful to me. It, it's been safe. It's been really safe. Um, when you talk about the real connection, and um, I wonder if you can talk about how this program has um, grown your concept of a higher power. And I'll pass. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks, Nancy. And I held my heart as you were answering or just talking now. And the just it just wow. Um, how fulfilling and enriching is 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 our friendship. So thank you. Um, as far as the higher power, a connection with my higher power. Um, wow, well, that's, that's perfect. And I'm realizing that. Um, me going to my higher power on a daily basis, like minute to minute, the more I can be connected. Um, 
my favorite prayer is help <laughs> or Holy Spirit come. <laughs> like I, I need you right now. Um, even just this morning, um, things, you know, it's just getting ready for this talk and uh, my partner's in um, in another room and helping me and things are like escalating and I'm, and I'm like, Holy Spirit, come, I need you. Um, and I just thought of the, the fruits of the spirit and I um, have a new uh, smart speaker and I'm like, uh, I won't say the command word, but you know, hey, and then G-O-O-G-L-E. <laughs> and what are the fruits of the spirit? Okay. And and then just get me back connected, focused on his love, focused on my higher power. Lord, lead me. I can't do this. Just constantly trying to stay in surrender. But so that is what my relationship with my higher power has looked like. Um, yeah, I hope that answers the question. This is crazy. I got I got another question. You mentioned partner. Can you talk about sobriety and your partner? Sorry, that's two questions, but yeah, that's perfect. Great question. So I have been with my partner. Um, we met uh, six years ago now, and um, I tried to get sober and. He wasn't fully that wasn't happening. Both had to really on be like we Melissa, you may have to you may have to cut out your video again. Do, and the connection I, is thank you. Um I I had to get sober and I needed him to be on board with it. And um, so I give a like, wow, I'm so gracious and grateful to my partner. We, so we live together, but we haven't been together in three and a half years and we are not married. Um, that's, I'm a commitment phobe. <laughs> that's um, for me, uh, there's things I still have to work through uh, about that. Um, but because we are not married, we are, sexually sober so what that looks like now is completely redefining intimacy <laughs> like just um yeah like intimacy before and int intimacy now int intimacy now is a holding of a hand a soft touch on the shoulder um it's it's listening it's how you feeling it's um being a partner in life and connected versus I do my thing, you do your thing. We come together, exchange once in a while. So the partnership has completely changed. It also helps that we have a really small living quarters. <laughs> so we, we can't, uh, you know, go off on the separate wings of, of the house or anything, but yeah. So that's what intimacy is, is looking like now. Thanks, Nancy and Melissa. Lee, you're up next. Hi, Lee, a real sexaholic from Nashville. Uh, Melissa, I have about an hour's worth of things I could say to relate to you. Uh, but I just want to tell you one story. It's not a connect, it's not a question. Uh, in 1986, I had been in recovery for a little over three and a half months. Uh, a guy comes in and asks me to sponsor him. I said, I'm not good enough yet. I can't sponsor you. So he says, can I call you? 
And I said, why, sure, you could call me. And he did every day. And he carried quarters around in his pocket and called me from the pay phones then on the way home from work. Uh, and uh, at supper, every night we got a call. And uh, so uh, the long story uh, short is seven years later, he said, I guess you know you're my sponsor. And I'd been hijacked. Uh, so uh, we were in Nashville. He's now moved to Seattle. We still talk every day. And uh, it's a great friendship that's developed. And it's very powerful. That's what it might look like for you. That's all. Yeah, Melissa, if you if yeah. you wanted to comment, feel free. Sure. Thank you so much, Lee. Yeah, hijacked. That's funny. Um, yeah, like the DSR that's hijacking my addiction. It's hijacking um, my old ways of of just hiding and being inside myself. So what a blessing to hear that the relationship has has gone on and. Wow, friend, friends for life. That's that's cool. That's inspiring to me. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Lee and Melissa. And uh, one of the Daniels had his hand up at one point. I don't know if you still have a, a question. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw it in there. Hey, uh, Daniel, and uh, thank you so much for your share. I really appreciate it. One thing I love is how much you're in the solution in your share. And I just, uh, I was curious. How in your recovery or even recently do you balance kind of digging into the past and the junk to find, you know, maybe clues about the dysfunction and the addiction versus how much do you just plow forward into the solution, if that question makes sense. Thank you. Thanks for the question. Um, I'm going to be honest. I let my... Sometimes Holy Spirit guide me, <laughs> sometimes intuition, sometimes fear. Um, so my my journey has really uh, varied. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll be completely like writing things out or, you know, writing and journaling before I go to bed. Um, like I'm just really in the solution. And then um, sometimes I think, essay, what? God, what? Like, like, I'm just, it's, I have amnesia. Um, and I, I love that my, uh, that my higher power, my God can have a, a, a sense of humor with me sometimes. Um, another thing that helps is the Thursday night essay meeting that I co-lead. We made a format change. And before we were reading the 12 and 12, quite often and some um, essay newsletter stuff. But what I realized is I needed more, a um, little more guidance and push. <laughs> so we switched to the step into action book. And each, each Thursday, we take five minutes and actually work, do some journaling and work through the step. We do the step correlate correlative to the month. So January would be step one, December would be step 12. And um, that's how I, I'm making sure that I stay in the solution and continue doing work. And that's, that's been helpful. 
Thanks so much for sharing. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Daniel, Melissa. And I see, Katrin, you have your hand up. Thank you, Daniel. Um, hi, Minister Katrin. Um, I am Les Eddick from Germany and very grateful to hear you. Thank you very much for your share and good to see you. And um, I, I wanted to say I very much relate to the friendship through DSR. I have the same experience. And uh, at the moment, I do a new service position and I, I feel more connection, but with friendship, difficult, but more connection, definitely. And, um, and I wanted to ask, for me, it's hard, some, sometimes hard, not always, sometimes hard, um, because I have a very old pattern with women, especially, and that competition. If you have any um, experience to this, uh, how to deal with it, I mean, I know I have to surrender, but I, but like these defects of competition and envy and jealousy and so, they really block me from having a connection. Um, yeah, I would like to hear your experience. Thank you. Thank you for the question. That is, wow, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a great question. Competition. Um, I'm just trying to think of times in my life there was um, an experience I had with a gal at church and we both volunteered for a project and um, I was asked to come on board to help come up with ideas and themes for a women's conference and um, and I, and I came on board and I went to a meeting and the other gal was really, um, really threatened by my ideas and um, my ability to say, okay, here's some options, here's my ideas, like here, here would be next steps. And um, so what I did is what I prayed about it and I had to give up and walk away. Um, so really keeping God at the center of this saying, God, is this something you want me to be involved in? Is this a relationship that I should pursue or should I back off and give her some time to take a look um, at what was happening? Um, so that's, that's been a recent experience of like maybe competition. Uh, she actually did end up using um, a couple of my ideas and my, um, the speakers that I had suggested, she went to them <laughs> kind of behind my back. Uh, they were a couple of friends that I had suggested for speakers. So I felt, I felt trampled on and hurt, to be honest. Um, and I think what God showed me in that is listen, just listen to me first. Um, don't worry about like what she thinks or feeling wronged. Um, and pray, like pray for um, our enemies, pray for other people, pray that, here's a hard one, <laughs> pray that she have success. <laughs> um, that's, that is uh, tr trusting that God will do for me um, good things and God will also do for her good things. So I'm not sure if that answers like what you're um, thinking about competition, but um, I just try to 
give it to God and um, say, God, where can you use me with this friendship? And uh, do you want me to uh, pursue this friendship? Oh, funny side story. I just remembered um, there was a gal that I tried to befriend years ago at church and just we were not seen like there was that c competitive tension and um now she actually moved to dallas and we're talking on the phone and she said you're one of my best friends and my jaw just dropped thinking this woman i had to walk on eggshells at first and there was so much competition and looking at me up and down and now she reveres me as a friend so um sticking with friends or st sticking with friendships uh if god to see what god wants to do with it so that's cool i'll pass thank you very much okay uh folks with fewer than 30 days can start getting in line by raising your virtual hand if you have a question feel free to step up to the plate next up we have luke hi thank you dan Thank you, Melissa, for your share. I um, I was really touched by your spontaneity and your very positive flair, especially knowing a little bit as you as you described it to us your the circumstances of of your breast cancer, radiation, chemotherapy, things like that. I might have missed it because I was outside on my bicycle before, but. Maybe you said something about it, maybe not. With the things that you experienced these last years and in the light of sobriety and your ongoing awakening to a higher power, because I heard a lot of gods and prayer in your share, which was really inspiring. How do you look at death today, at human mortality, at your own mortality, at death? Thank you. Can you hear me okay? Thumbs up, if you can. Okay, good. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, part of your question got blocked up, but I did hear the end um, about, oh, death. And <laughs> oh, that's a fantastic question because one of the things, the emotions that I went through, especially while doing, during chemo, I'm putting poison in my body and I'm just not feeling well. And I really did have death come in front of me. And I thought, do I want to stop this and just do like something natural and let, let nature take its course? Or do I want to fight this? Like, is my life worth fighting for? And um, I really had to do a lot of prayer. And uh, a friend of mine from a different program I had a conversation with him and, and he said, Melissa, it's really about choosing. You get to have a say in your life for the life that you have. Death comes to us all. So as in, can it be as simple as when you go to get ice cream at a ice cream shop and you have the two choices chocolate or vanilla you have to choose chocolate vanilla choose and for me it was life or death choose like can it be that simple and if it is uh, 
like what does that look like that means being willing to turn to my higher power um if it's his will that i live really surrendering the life that i have i'm i'm still processing what does death mean i haven't had any um deaths in my family of people close to me uh, but my mother actually is dealing with a rare cancer right now and she's not doing well um and <laughs> i was diagnosed shortly after she was so having a parallel cancer fight journey um she's gone dark and she's not talking to anybody um, I haven't talked to her since Christmas and I just keep praying for her. So mortality, I'm still learning, but what I got with all this sickness is, okay, am I gonna do everything in my power and be coachable, be um, coachable, like my doctor saying, do this, <laughs> or we suggest this, like being willing to do those hard things. Um, to show up, life or death, choose. So that's where I'm at right now. Thanks for the question. Thanks for the answer, Melissa. Thanks, Luke, Melissa. We still have a few more minutes uh, for a question or two, and I don't see any hands raised at the moment. And if you have a question, feel free to unmute and ask. Okay, I'm going to jump in because I've been wondering something. First of all, my sponsor always tells me to look for similarities in stories. And, you know, you know, Melissa, your story is definitely not my story. However, all the underlying stuff is my story. <laughs> you know, the details are different, but the underlying issue is. And um, one area, for example, I've been married now 21 years, and your comment about rediscovering what true intimacy really is. My wife and I, after I started getting sober three and a half years ago, are still on that journey of trying to rediscover what is true intimacy. We're, we're both love cripples, and we're, we're trying to work through that. So I appreciate your comment there. Now, on a completely different tack, um, a previous question kind of touched on this, but do you have any, do you have sponsees that you coach through sober dating or what, do you have wisdom uh, that you might offer up in terms of sober dating? Because I'm sure there are some single folks on this call. Thanks Daniel for the question. So right now I am not actively, um, mentoring anybody. I've had a couple short-lived experiences, but um, I do have girlfriends in program and they do ask me about that. Um, my biggest thing is sympathy. <laughs> my heart goes out to you. Um, it's gotta be so, so hard. I, I feel like my higher power provided a relationship for me. Um, I'm lucky uh, that he's still with me right now. Um, it's hard to find, uh, to go out and date um, and expect the other person 
to have the same um, sobriety or expectations of dating. Um, so I, I can't really, I wasn't sober when I first started dating my boyfriend. So I can't uh, talk to that. Um, my default is just talk to God about it. Have God, God lead you. Um, one, one fascinating thing I have learned is seeing my, my friends who are um, Christian in like church and have decided to wait. They're quick about it. Um, it's a very quick dating process. I'm surprised. Um, like I, there's a couple that I, I know and I think they dated six months and then they announced and then they were married within the year. Like it's fast. Like if God says yes and the, my, like their hearts are ready, f cool things can happen. So that's what I've seen. That's what I got. Thanks for the question. Thanks, Melissa. And we have time for maybe one more question. So I know someone has a burning desire question in their heart. So please speak up. Hamid's got his hand up, Dan. Oh. Who, who has their hand up? Hamid. Hamid. Hi, Hamid. Go ahead, Hamid. Hello, everyone. My name is Hamid. I'm recovering sexually from Iran. Thank you so much, Melissa, for your share. I really like your share, and especially about what you shared about uh, true intimacy. And I have a question uh, related to that term. Uh, actually, uh, in our culture in Iran, uh, we can't be with someone, I mean a girlfriend or a boy boyfriend, without marrying him or her. And in SA, it is more uh, strict and more serious for us. So I want to know if uh, we can have a sober uh, bo uh, boyfriend or girlfriend without having sex if it's possible in SA or not, what's your experience? Thank you. Don't forget to unmute, Melissa. Classic, <laughs> classic mistake. Thank you. <laughs> uh, thanks, Hamed, for the, the question. So for me right now, it is it is possible. Um, I didn't think it was, but as I said, it really helped for both people to be on board. Um, and what I've discovered is that um, we we knew we were a match beforehand because we were acting out beforehand. Um, and so we had to set that and put that away on the table or it was no longer on the table. Um, and so well, we both went through withdrawal um, and what we found is, a lot of times there's the saying, kiss and make up. <laughs> well, like we don't have that. Like kiss and make up is, I'm finding at least in my life, not the best um, advice. It's like, oh, just kiss and make up. Like, no, what 
what is really going on? Um, what does what does true intimacy look like? It means being vulnerable and letting, um, as my partner and I say, let our little inner childs out. Our our inner children getting along. Uh, my little inner child is called Missy, um, and my partner. Um, his name is Tony, but uh, it's we call him Antney. So what does Antney need? What does Missy need? Are they getting along well? Would they play well in the sandbox together right now? It's really like getting down to, it's almost easier. Um, okay, what's, you know, what cartoons? We, we find ourselves um, watching a lot of, um, like cartoons or kid movies because we're letting our like inner children play with each other. So I'm not sure what that might look like for you, but it's starting to make little kid jokes, uh, like, or like dad jokes, (laughs) Um, just, you know, coloring together, doing projects together, cooking together, um, even cleaning together. We've, we've, we've coined this term tag me in and we take turns. Like if I'm cooking and maybe I'm, he feels me starting to get a little stressed. He's like, tag me in or, um, or vice versa. So starting to be intimately aware of where another person is at um, emotionally, spiritually, um, we also go to church together and that's something you have never had a relationship like that. And that has been huge. Um, working on our foundation together, learning what I'm realizing is actually going to church is where we experience love and fellowship at our church. That has been a great model for us to come together again in love and fellowship. So, um, that was a, a great plug that I, di- I didn't mention before, but um, my church and our church community has been such a huge example for us. Um, and cushion too, when we aren't doing well. Um, and we really have to, yeah, so work on our points of view of, um, you know, religion, uh, politics, <laughs> all those things that okay, who cares if we disagree, just kiss and make up, move on. Well, no, we actually have to, we don't have to, but we get to, we get to have those intimate conversations uh, with each other. So, and we've actually even started to, uh, we created a nonverbal communication of two blinks at each other means I love you. So if we're in it like out in public or maybe if we're in a deep conversation and maybe we're at a standstill, we look at each other and we do a double blink. Um, we have a little handshake as well. So just coming up with these little nuances that are just our own in the relationship, um, that's what non-sexual intimacy looks like in my relationship. I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa. Thanks, Melissa. That- was outstanding. I appreciate all of that at the end there about intimacy. So, I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. 
please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.